Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 19, The Worst Ways to Die, part two. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works. This is episode 19 of the podcast, and this is going to be a continuation of last week, The Worst Ways to Die, Part 2. When I first started this, I thought this would just be a two-parter episode, but I've done more research and there are more things that I want to add to this, so I've decided to make this a three-parter. Part two is this week, part one was last week, and then part three will be next week. There's just a lot more to this, and I figured that it would be easier to make three episodes instead of trying to cram it all in into two episodes. So I hope you enjoy that. I know some people really like multiple part episodes and some people don't, but it is what it is. My only announcement for this week is if you could please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast from. It really helps the show out and it really helps others find us. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so I have no more announcements, so let's just get right into the episode. So like I said before, this is part two of The Worst Ways to Die, and I will be talking about some other of The Worst Ways to Die today and providing examples on each one. And once again, these are in no particular order. If you haven't listened to part one of The Worst Ways to Die, that was last week's episode, episode 18. So go ahead and give that a listen to first. I also wanted to provide a trigger warning for this episode. This episode contains extreme content and descriptions of violence and gore. If this is something that makes you uncomfortable or you are not comfortable with extreme content in general, you may want to skip this episode. It may not be the episode for you. All right, with that being said, let's just get right into it. The first of the worst ways to die in part two that I'm going to talk about is death by animal attack or mutilation. We share the world with animals and sometimes we become their prey. Humans are apex predators, but we're hardly the only animal that is. And unlike humans, our fellow apex predators come equipped with built-in weapons like teeth, claws, strength, speed to satisfy their lust for blood. My first example of an animal mutilation is Timothy Treadwell and Amy Huguenard, and they were both killed by grizzly bears. Bears are pretty common animals. They can be found on every continent. In North America, bears are native to 43 states and all 13 Canadian provinces. North American bears come in three varieties. The smaller black bear, the brown bear, known as the grizzly, and the white or polar bear. And there's a little rhyme that was created to help us remember how to respond to the different types of bears if we ever were to encounter them, which hopefully we won't. Black, fight back. Brown, lay down. White, say goodnight. Everyone really thinks of polar bears as the coke bears and they're so cute and fluffy, but they're really vicious. A lot of bears are really vicious. The most recent statistics on bear attacks indicate there have been 73 fatal bear attacks between 1900 and 2014. 
Timothy Treadwell and his girlfriend, Amy, were two of them. On October 6, 2003, the air taxi pilot arrived to pick up Timothy and Amy from their camp in Katmai National Park. When they didn't appear, he went looking for them and found their abandoned campsite. Then, the pilot noticed an agitated brown bear pacing as if guarding its prey. Nearby were the partially eaten remains of both people. Timothy Treadwell was a self-proclaimed grizzly man. He claimed that he had formed a special bond with the bears, and he camped in their feeding range in the summer months to provide videos that he filmed to share with the world. He wanted to share with them his unique message of conservation. Now, he had multiple run-ins with the Katmai Park authorities, who ticketed him over rules violations concerning camping and his increasingly reckless behavior with the bears. He filmed himself touching and petting the bears, and he gave them nicknames like chocolate and stuff like that. And of course, this is really frowned upon with rangers. They do not want you to be unsafe because that makes their job really dangerous and hard. Rangers believe it was a combination of several factors that came together to lead to the deadly attack. Timothy's campsite, which he established on a well-traveled bear path leading to the salmon strain from which the bears fed, was an area of tall grass, which limited sight and had bears coming around a corner and suddenly seeing his camp. Additionally, food was limited that summer and the bearing crop was failing and there was not a lot of salmon and October is a time of heightened bear aggression because they want to put on a lot of fat so they can prepare for hibernation. The pilot then contacted the park rangers who then quickly located their remains. Timothy's mangled head, part of his spine, his right forearm, and his hand were recovered a short distance from the camp. His wristwatch was still attached to his arm and still ticking. Amy's remains were found partially buried under a mound of twigs and dirt next to the torn tents. Rangers were forced to kill the 28-year-old bear who was guarding the remains and a juvenile bear who charged the team as they recovered the remains of the two campers. There were human remains in the stomach of both bears, which confirmed the fears that the two were eaten by Timothy's beloved bears. This was the first known bear-inflicted death at the Katmai National Park. Now what's really eerie and terrifying about this is the entirety of the attack was recorded on Timothy's video camera. It is believed that he prompted his girlfriend to turn on the camera when he saw the bear was approaching. But she left the lens cap on and only six minutes of audio was recorded. There has been audio found online but it's confirmed to be a dramatization, not the actual audio attack that happened. The actual audio of the attack is in possession of Timothy's business partner, and she said she intended to destroy it. While you cannot listen to the actual audio of the incident, the dramatization is likely realistic of what actually happened. It's pretty haunting. Amy tells Tim to play dead like you're supposed to do 
and that doesn't work, so she screams at him to fight back. Death by bear mauling is one of the worst ways to die because a bear kills slowly. Once it's incapacitated its prey, it begins to feed, even while the victim is still alive. On the dramatization, Timothy is heard being mauled for several minutes, the bear tearing into his flesh. He yells at his girlfriend to run away, but instead, she decides to stay and try and help him. She is heard using a frying pan to try and drive the bear away from him. But in likelihood, rangers believe that her high-pitched screams may have drawn the bear to attack her in its heightened aggressive state, especially if she was trying to get it away from her boyfriend. The bear then turned to her, mauled her to death, next. Their corpses drew a younger bear, who also fed on their bodies, before burying her body in a shallow depression to finish feeding on her later. The recovered remains were delivered in two plastic bags, stored inside a metal drum for the plane ride to the office of the medical examiner, who said the sight of these body parts was one of the most disturbing things he's ever seen. And you could find the audio dramatization on YouTube just by doing a quick search. And although it is not the exact tapes, it's a dramatization, it's very eerie and haunting. And if you want to kind of know what they went through at the end, it's pretty good and disturbing, I have to warn you. Now I have another example of death by an animal attack. And this is Ben Cochran, who was killed by timber wolves. Wolves were hunted to the brink of extinction in North America, but efforts to reintroduce the wolves to their once native habitats in the 20th century were largely successful. Timber wolves weigh up to 150 pounds and are native to the northern Rocky Mountains of the United States and Canada. Packs contain hundreds of wolves, but usually they are smaller than that. Attacks by wolves are pretty rare, yet very deadly at the same time, as wolves hunt in large packs, not as individuals. Wolves can run at speeds of 35 miles per hour, and they can also sustain these speeds over long distances. Wolves run down their prey as the pack surrounds it. And I'm sure you've seen this in movies and stuff where the wolves just surround you in a circle before they attack. It's really terrifying. There have been 49 documented cases between 1942 and 2002 in Alaska and Canada, which host most of the population of wild wolves. Ben Cochran is one of those fatalities, and he went down swinging, literally. In 1922, Ben Cochran was working as a trapper in Manitoba, Canada. While out checking his trap lines, he encountered a large pack of wolves. He was alone by a river when he spotted them, and he knew they were the largest breed of timber wolves. Not only was the pack unusually large, the wolves themselves were really large also. Ben initially thought maybe the wolves were just coming to the river to drink, and he mentally planned to scare them off by making noise and jumping about to make him seem like he was larger than he was. If then things went sideways, he had his rifle with him so he could fire a shot or two into the air to scatter the pack. 
Ben eyed the pack as they drew closer to the river, and he didn't like the way they were fanning out to surround him on three sides with the river to his back. They were staring directly at him. The tension in the air was palpable. Ben had no hope of escape. His only hope was his rifle, which he shouldered and took aim. He fired at the wolves, but doing so failed to scatter them. He kept firing into the pack again, again, and again. He killed seven of them by the time he ran out of ammunition. As the pack continued to advance on Ben, he stopped firing the rifle, and then the pack broke and charged him, and they were intent on bringing him down. But he matched their resolve with a will to live of his own. He turned the rifle around and laid into the timber wolves, smashing their skulls with the butt of the rifle. When the wooden stock broke apart, he beat them with the metal barrel, using it like a pipe. He beat four wolves to death before they overwhelmed him. Which is very, very impressive. Wolf attacks can either be predatory, as when running down prey to feed on, or agnostic, which is motivated by aggression and designed to chase away threats, or because their territory was threatened. When wolves take down prey, which are often in a group, they start to stampede to identify individuals that are young, weak, injured, or old. When they target the weaker members surrounding it from many sides and biting the hind legs, throat, or nose areas to bring the animal to the ground. Frequently, the neck is bitten to suffocate and tear large veins in the throat area to dispatch their victim. The wolves then feed, with the highest-ranking pack members feeding first on down through the ranks until the animal is consumed, which is an interesting way of doing it. The remaining wolves tore Ben's body to shreds. The pack had paid dearly for this meal, and they meant to have it. Ben's bones were found in the spring of the next year, 1923, by friends who were out searching along his line trap for Ben when he failed to show up at a prearranged rendezvous. The bones of 11 huge timber wolves laid scattered around him with his mangled rifle bearing testimony to his struggle against the overwhelming odds in the north woods of Canada. He definitely went down fighting and gave it everything he had. Ben Cochran's death illustrates how quickly one can go from being a hunter to the hunted. The next worst way to die that I'm going to talk about is death by boiling. Being boiled to death is one of the more brutal ways to die. And these two examples illustrate just that. The first one that I'm going to talk about is Sean Doyle. In December of 2002, bartender Sean Doyle went out drinking with his friend Michael Wright and Wright's girlfriend. On their walk home, Wright became convinced that Sean was hitting on his girlfriend, and they began to fight in the street. Witnesses saw this fight, and they contacted emergency services. And when they arrived, they saw a man getting beaten. One witness heard him yell, quote, Don't break my legs, end quote. Another witness reported that he saw Wright throw Sean Doyle, down an open manhole in the street. 
When the first responders got there, they located Sean Doyle at the bottom of the manhole. And this was a drop of about 18 feet. At the bottom was a pool of boiling water from a broken water main. Doyle was standing in the boiling cauldron, screaming and shrieking for help. His arms extended upward, begging someone to get him out. Sadly, firefighters couldn't get him out because it was pretty much a steam tunnel and they couldn't do it physically. One of the responders said, quote, It was 300 degrees in the steam tunnel. No one could brave it. End quote. So sadly, he could not be helped. It would be four hours before they could recover his body, or what was left of it. Doyle's temperature was taken when he reached the morgue. It was measured at 125 degrees. The medical examiner believes it was much higher, as his body was still hot to the touch, even after the time it took to secure his corpse and transport it to the morgue but the thermometers topped out at 125. They would need something like a meat thermometer to get a more accurate reading. When the medical examiner saw Doyle's mortal remains on her autopsy table, she wrote in her report, quote, I thought he had been steamed like a lobster. His entire outer layer of skin had sloughed, sloughed, off and his internal organs had been literally cooked, end quote. His muscles had cooked as well, and without the skin, he resembled a barbecued piece of meat, which is absolutely terrifying. The medical examiner confirmed that Sean Doyle otherwise suffered no broken bones and no head trauma. Now this meant that he was fully conscious as he boiled to death which is a truly horrible and sad way to go. And it's so sad that no one could help him because they just couldn't physically do it. So he literally just boiled to death and there was no way out at that point. The next example I have for boiling to death is Richard Roos. In February, 1531, Richard was employed as the household cook to John Fisher who was the Bishop of Rochester. Bishop Fisher was standing in opposition of King Henry VIII's desire to put aside his first wife, Catherine, so he could divorce her and marry his mistress, Anne Boleyn. Divorce was forbidden by the Catholic Church unless the couple receives a papal dispensation. So basically, the church had to decide that they could have a divorce. To judge the merits of this case, the Pope decided to hold a convocation, which Bishop Fisher was the head of. The cook, Richard, accepted a bribe to poison Bishop Fisher and the other high-ranking church leaders who dined with him that evening. Bishop Fisher had no appetite that evening, so he was spared the fate of his guest. And he's also an extremely lucky person, too. Soon after the soup was served, Bishop Fisher looked on and he was horrified to see the dinner companions first coughing, then choking, then gasping for air, and finally rolling on the floor in agony. 
Two people died and the rest suffered complications and many had disabilities that they would have for the remainder of their lives. Of course, the cook, Richard, was put to question. And this meant that he was tortured to extract information on who had ordered this attack. He at first said it was just a practical joke and he decided to put laxatives in the bishop's food because he thought it was funny. And eventually the truth came out, of course, because no one believed that story. It's not really believable. And they decided to make an example of him, warning others who might consider meddling in church affairs and the dealings of kings. They decided to inflict on him a method of torture that was never witnessed before. And this was death by boiling. A giant kettle was filled and heated over a massive bonfire. Richard was secured with chains above the kettle and slowly lowered feet first into the boiling water. He was suspended with his body upright to prolong his agony and delay his death. He was repeatedly lowered, then lifted, then lowered again, submerging his body on each dunk into the boiling cauldron below. In his last statement before his sentence was carried out, Richard said, quote, he did it for the, his children, end quote. He wanted to give them a better life with the money he was given for the assassination attempt. According to accounts of the never-seen-before spectacle of Richard being boiled to death, the scene of it, along with his screams, had women fainting in the square, and they had to be carried away from the execution site. I don't know about you, but I find it amazing that public executions were so popular during times like this, and so many people actually wanted to see this. Coincidentally, the same date, two years later, April 5th, 1533, the ruling was that the king's marriage to Catherine was legal and valid, so his divorce was denied. And I'm sure, as you know, he didn't care because he wanted to divorce her, so he just made his own church and divorced her anyway, and then married his mistress. It seems like it would be absolutely terrible to live during that time period. I mean, you can be sent to death for something you didn't even do and tortured like that in front of everyone. It just seems absolutely terrifying. So there you have it, part two of The Worst Ways to Die. We will be back next week with part three of The Worst Ways to Die, and that will be the final episode of that series. I hope you have enjoyed this. I know I have. It's been really interesting to research. Please, if you have a moment, rate, subscribe, and review. And if you could, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show out. If you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com. And remember to follow me on Instagram, truecrimeworks. And you can also send me a message there for ideas about upcoming cases. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode two of The Worst Ways to Die. I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Thank <laughs> you.